Welcome to Virtual Economy, a podcast about the business of games for the rest of us. We're your hosts. I'm Amanda Farrow. And I'm Michael Footer. Each episode will cover the biggest business beats and bring in expert commentary from lawyers, analysts, and industry pros. This is episode 139, Yves Guimau Can't Fix Ubisoft's Culture Problems. He cannot. Wop, wop, wop. Yeah, he is ill-equipped to to do the thing. But we'll get there. We'll get there. But kicking off this week, we have a blood-soaked quarterly earnings report from GameStop. Mike, this has been your beat for how many years now? Oh, so Four? very fudging many. Four um, years this has been your beat. Yeah. So walk, walk us through this quarter, or I guess, yeah, yeah, this most recent quarter's earnings. All right, so for GameStop, net sales dropped 4% to $1.136 billion. So right on the surface, when, you're, when your profits are deeply in the red, you at least look at your net sales, right? It's like, oh, look at our revenue. Our revenue is great. When we talk about Unity, when we talk about Roblox, these are companies that are deeply in the red in terms of their net losses, yes, but the revenue is growing. Yeah, the revenue, the revenue grows quarter over quarter, like sequentially. And yep. it's fairly consistent. It has been fairly consistent for for the years, you know, since they IPO'd. Mm-hmm. However, GameStop, not so much. No, and things have been really bad. Now, remember, they just had a, a stock split. And their stock is now back in... It's still high. Like, it's in the 20s, I think. In fact, let me pull it up right now because I'm curious of, of where it's sitting. Remember, it at, at its high was up to $400 per share. And then when we it went was, to the moon last year. Yeah, and then it was sitting at like 180 mm-hmm. and dipping. Like it was di- and then it dropped below 100 finally. But um it's at 2754 right now. And if we look at what it was because when you look at this now, they adjust all of the old share values. But uh if you go back a month, it was at $35 and now it's at 2754. You go back six months, it was at an equivalent of $48 per share. Now, remember, because of the split, like, we're not going to see those $400 numbers in, no. in the share charts. If you even look at three months, it was from a high of $44, and now it's $27.54. And that's still overvalued. Remember, before the squeeze, it was at $3. $3 a share. So... Uh, on the good, uh, good side, collectibles revenue was up significantly. So if you love them Funko Pops at, at GameStop, guess, guess what? You're going to see more of them because that was up 26% to $223.2 million. Wow. Really? Yeah. It's wild, right? Now remember- Amiibos, amiibos aren't considered collectibles, are they? Don't, they? they barely sell Amiibos anymore though. They sell them on their website. Hell, when the Monster Hunter Amiibos came out for Sunbreak- you couldn't find them in stores. They sold them all through the website. They didn't okay. even make it to stores. Okay. Remember there was a time, I guess it was right before the pandemic, we went in because Amiibos had just come out. I'm like, oh, let me pop yeah. my head into GameStop. We're here. Well, that's what I used to do. When I like when I lived in Vancouver, there was a specific game GameStop, like in I think it was in Yale Town or something like that, that I used to go to. And I would I would usually pop my head in on the way to like working at a cafe for the day. Yeah, and now more, I don't do that. I don't. I don't pop into GameStop no, anymore. No, and I will occasionally if they have if they have stuff on clearance that I want to add to the library, like for five bucks, I'll do it. So if you are more likely to find an amiibo at Best Buy, like walking into a Best Buy, than you are walking into a GameStop. And that's right now. saying something because Best Buys are barren. 
They are. They are. And they are very, they're very mercenary about this, about what they carry. Now, so I, I would expect that GameStop is going to continue to stock a lot of collectibles. And it's not just Funko Pops, right? right. It's the, it's keychains. It's It's the props, kitschy nerd it's, stuff. It's, yeah, it's the kitschy nerd stuff. Exactly. The stuff that you would normally get from RIP, Think Geek. Right. Absolutely. That you would potentially have gotten had Think Geek gone with Hot Topic. Yes. They'd Absolutely. still be thriving. Absolutely. Uh, GameStop did manage to rein in its significant general administrative and selling expenses, that's SG&A, mm-hmm. bringing them down 14.3% to $387.5 million sequentially. Okay. However, SG&A was up year over year by 2.3%. So it's very they're being very clever about how they position these. Because when you look at an earnings press release, they have bullet points where they call things out. Oh, they do, yeah. And it's because if you don't dig deep, it's like, oh, look, they, the quarter wasn't so bad. Like they brought yeah, in their selling. Sequentially. sequentially. Which is, don't get me wrong, that's still valuable information, mm-hmm. but it's not as valuable. It, it isn't. I mean, it is. It, like anything with, with finance, you're looking at multiple pieces of the puzzle in order to create the complete picture. Yeah. So sequentially is important, but year over year is also important. It's why you look at a statement of cash flows, a balance sheet, and a profit and loss statement. Mm-hmm. Oh, the one thing I, I did want to say about collectibles, remember, they went through a huge deaccessioning. They did. Yeah. Uh, they did a huge sell-off. Huge because remember those you must have you must buy this box stuff where yeah. they're getting rid of like all the junk in their warehouse. They're just cre- recreating the cycle, That's and it's so great. It's it's, it's really so weird. Great. Uh, GameStop also oh uh, cost of goods sold increased from seventy two point nine percent of sales to seventy five point two percent of sales. So for those that have never listened to a to an earnings show before, sure. What is what is the cost of goods sold? What does that okay. mean? Okay, I mean that's a that's a wonderful question. I'm really glad you asked that. So cost of goods sold is actually exactly what it sounds like. When you sell a product that you acquire from somebody else or even that you make wholesale, there are costs associated with bringing that product to market. So in this case, if you are let's take one one video game. You are ordering May I please have one, one video, video game, game for a treat. As a treat. You, you pay the wholesaler mm-hmm. a certain amount of money to bring those copies into your inventory. Sure. You have inventory costs associated with that. Of course, right? which is why we talk about the challenges of physical retail locations. Exactly. So cost of goods sold is essentially what you have paid out in order to bring that product in, into inventory in order for it to be sold. Sure. Do you think that the the increase in the cost of goods sold is because of the pricing around video games, inflation, or both? Uh, I think inflation is part of it. I mean, everything has, when you have inflation and the cost of, well, especially when you talk about something that is as deeply rooted as transportation costs due to fuel. Oh, certainly. The cost of everything go up. We were just having this conversation here about the cost of meat. Yeah. Right? We had this conversation last night. This is what we do in our personal lives, folks. I know you're missing out. It's like, it's a little window into the fun that is us. Uh, but, the fun but, that is the exploit yeah, plan. But, but I bought, you know... 2.6 pounds of chicken thighs yesterday and they were $13 and we they know used to it used be to be nine. about nine, $10, right? So yeah. we're seeing pro- costs go up across the board. What I do think is contributing to this, and we've said this before, is that GameStop is getting more heavily into PC hardware. Yeah. And, and that, that stuff, ha- that stuff has spendy. a shelf life. Yeah, that stuff's spendy. And if you don't get rid of it quickly, yep. yeah, you're going to have to discount it. All yep. right, so what, what else is going on at um, GameStop? They increased their inventory significantly. Again, this is part of the same conversation. Oh, no. $734.8 million. The company says it's trying to meet consumer demand, but this feels more like a result of GameStop's bigger push into PC gaming. 
Uh, note that GameStop was on a major inventory clear out just last year, the year before. You know, we have talked about this over and over. This it is was the... definitely 2020 when they did this because was it? we were, yeah. It was it in the height of the pandemic? It was in the height of the pandemic because we were looking at these and we're just like, how are physical loot boxes a thing? Yeah. And that's what it was. It was random pull things. Uh, net losses are mounting though. And this is where I start to get, you know, concerned and be like, you are, you are not, you're putting a rosy spin on things, but <laughs> operating losses went up from $58.5 million to $107.8 million year over year. And we're talking about operating losses. These are not, oh, we took an extraordinary expense. This is your operate. This is your, your this regular is your operations. This is day to day. Yeah. Uh, net losses are mounting. They jumped back up to $108.7 million from $61.6 million in Q2 of last year. From the transcript of the call, there were no major one-time transformation, transaction, or related costs during the period. So why did their net loss go up quite so high? Well, you know, as we said, operating losses more than doubled from 4.9% of sales to 9.5% of sales. Is they that are, this is in bad. Part, that is a bad metric. Is this in part because they increased their inventory? Um... It's possible. I, I mean, I would say because, that, of course, they have to worry about you know warehouses. I don't think stuff. there's. I don't think. I mean, obviously, with net sales going down, so we have sales that have gone down. We have co inventory costs going up, and I, I think there's a lot of pieces of this puzzle. It's just like they're not looking at the big picture. I don't know who. I don't know what is going on and who like why they're steering the ship in quite this way. But this is. This is bad. Yeah. Net loss has also nearly doubled from 5.2% of sales to 9.6% of sales. You look at that and you say, all right, you're selling how much and what percentage of that is loss? That's 10, effectively 10% of what they brought in in sales that is, is lost. That is brutal. It's terrible. If you pull the camera back to the half year, GameStop sales are tracking ahead of last year by 2.2%. So that's good. But net losses have more than doubled for the first six months of twenty of the of fiscal 2022 to $266.6 .6 million and 10.6% of sales versus 5.2% of sales at last year's half mark. Now they do have $900 million in cash due to issuing new stock after the meme rush. Remember they took advantage of the inflated stock price oh, and yeah. paid off their debt. Now here's the thing. They took, they again took no questions on the earnings call. Of course they are they refusing didn't. to talk to analysts. Of course. Because they know who the real market is. The people who are keeping that stock price afloat, they're not they're analysts. Not they're analysts. not brokers. They are retail consumers who are just fanatical for some stupid reason. Um, let's see. The uh, Kotaku, uh, remember we talked about how uh, GameStop was going to be offering some incentives and some better pay and everything? Right. And I was, I, we were both skeptical, but often, like not optimistic, but hopeful. Yeah, uh, that hope was misplaced. Kotaku oh, is reporting that those raises we covered a couple of weeks back, 50 cents per hour for some, for others less. One source to Kotaku reported 38 cents per hour wow. in a raise. Um, these are employees who That's are told to, horrifying. these are, they're told to come in on their day off, use their personal vehicle to retrieve something from another store. By the way, there are legal implications to this. And I want to talk real quickly about why you should never use your own vehicle when working for somebody else. No, you should always use the company car, man. Right. Or, you know, make sure that you're getting paid mileage and yeah. can, and can, and, and can expense that. It. And there are federal reimbursement amounts for mileage, but more importantly, and that's in, that's in Canada as well. More importantly, if the company doesn't expressly protect you while you are driving from A to B on company business, you are acting as an agent of that company. And by the way, they're exposing themselves to a huge amount of liability because you are because acting you as an in, agent. And if you get in an accident or yeah. it, whether or not you are at fault, 
you know, there are large legal implications there. And there's like, as, as you know, like my father used to drive for my, my grandfather when, when he owned his business and he, you know, when he was alive and he owned his business, you know, he had to drive the company car because the company car was insured Mm -hmm. under, you know, the, under the company. So like he couldn't conduct official business unless he was driving a company car. It's, it's real bad. Like this is stupid. I mean, this is absolutely stupid. And the other thing is, if you were to get into an accident, whether it's your fault or, or not, you would be entitled to, you should be entitled to workman's comp. Absolutely. So, so that's something, there are huge legal implications to using your personal vehicle uh, for company business, especially for corporation. And you, you should make sure if, if there are any employees who are listening to this, that you are adequately protected and that the company has actually spelled out what your rights and responsibilities are. Mm-hmm. So that you understand and you know how they're, how you are protected using your personal vehicle for, for company business. Big time. Uh, at the very least, getting reimbursed for that mileage, especially with gas prices, while not quite as high, still pretty high. Uh, final note on GameStop, their head of blockchain has left the company <laughs> in the wake of the company's <laughs> NFT marketplace launch. So that's such huge amounts confidence. of confidence. Such confidence. Such confidence. I, I am... What I, a mess. I really dislike... GameStop, I really dislike the cowardice of not taking questions on an earnings call because it doesn't feel like there's any real plan here. No, it just it just feels like a like a giant mess, and they're hoping that no one notices. Yeah, the emperor has no clothes, and I think that the emperor hasn't had clothes in a long time. Yeah, I think everything's going to come crashing down. I this think emperor's the, been neckers for yeah, a while. Yeah, if it had not been for people shorting the stock, I don't think GameStop would sur- would be surviving right now. I think they would have fine I think they would have gone into that long good night. Uh but the short squeeze actually helped them and they they profited from it. They 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 went ahead and they sold their they 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 generated new shares. I mean like what else were I mean let, I mean let's I would have done, from, I would have done the same thing in course. that situation. Of course. But I also shrewd, feel like it's a shrewd business decision. But at the same time there's very little about this this corporation that is shrewd. Yeah, and I still believe, and especially after the Kotaku report, I do not believe that GameStop will ever and is capable of ever treating employees that do that have been and we're working, working harder, 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 and harder and harder, and been had more put on them over the past few years, especially where you've got GameStop refusing to close its stores, you've got um, you've got people who have been in physical danger you've got even before this people it, people hated the security the security around those stores you know and having stores robbed and no um, it's a it's a bad time it working is, for yeah. GameStop from everything that I've understood unless you work at a really great GameStop with good management where mm-hmm. they really care and that's hard to do because if you're not paid to care if you're not paid enough why should you care yeah. oh that was the other thing apparently some stores don't have managers anymore and you have one manager who's managing four stores that's horrifying it is now you used to have just so you understand the structure you used to have a manager and an assistant manager in each store and then you had a district manager yeah. or a regional manager or district manager who oversaw a group of stores. Yeah. So the fact that they don't even have full managers at some of these stores now, it's they are they are working as close to the bone as possible and ultimately it's not good for people. Nope. It's not good for the people working there. No, it's not and the people deserve better. Yep. But you know what? I'm what? tired of talking about GameStop. Yeah, that's them. So I think I'd like to talk about MPD. I love MPD. I also love MPD. And I love Matt Piscatella. I do too. So Matt Piscatella published the report, NPD's report, for August 2022 yesterday. And while things have slowed, you know, we're still in decline, 
It wasn't terrible. It wasn't. And there are some big reasons about about why things were muted in August. And sure. I think hopefully will continue to be for the rest of the year. There's actually some some very good signaling coming out. But we're also, with the exception of Square Enix, which apparently has like 10 games coming out between, the, between now and the end of the year. Square Enix is just like, here guys, here's the deluge you've been looking yeah. for. I'm going to just say this, and I know we're not, we don't talk about video games on this video game podcast that much. Uh, but Diofield Chronicles, I absolutely love that demo. I cannot wait to play that game. I'm very excited about it. It's true. He called me when I was in Canada and he's like, you need to hear all about this game. And I'm like, dude, I'm trying to eat my dinner. And he's like, I don't good, care. Then, good. Then you chew, just chew and listen. Just chew and listen. Okay, then. Anyway, so let's talk about what's going on overall in the U.S. game market from NPD. August 2022 consumer spending in the U.S. was down 5%. From August 2021 at $4.1 billion. Now just to remember the last two months have been down 10% or so. Exactly. So while things are depressed, they're not as bad. Spending was slightly higher than August 2020, which was uh, $4.07 billion. Yeah. So the fact that we're still tracking ahead of mid-pandemic now But at the same time, the reason why August 2020 was depressed was because we were leading up to console launch. It wasn't depressed at that point. Remember? No, no, in, in comparison, though, the reason why it looks like the reason why it's higher now than it was mm-hmm. then is because there was the, it was depressed that year. I remember the August, August was? the August and July numbers were down in comparison, like I sequentially. We, I, okay. They were All down right. sequentially. Okay. All right. Got it. Um, they obviously year over year, there's like, there was no comparison. Yeah, because everybody was rushing to buy consoles because they were trapped inside. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But Got sequentially, it. like Understood. they, people were starting to prep for. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. They were starting to prep yeah, for the console launches. Um, the soft, I remember software sales made up for it, mm-hmm. yep. but the hardware yep. sales were really down. Mm-hmm. So okay. I remember. All right. Pepper so you're. <laughs> uh, year to date spending is sitting at. billion, which is down 9% from the same period in 2021, but up 3% from 2020's $33.5 billion. Like that's, that is actually a good signal. We should be doing better at this point in the, in the console cycle, but because of the, the oddly strong 2020 comp. Well, and it's, I think it's not even just that, like the comp in, the, the comp just across the board has been skewed mm-hmm. for quite some time yeah. because of the pandemic. But we also were not really prepared for kind of the ferocious overcorrect this year because of inflation. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's really, that's a big part of why we're seeing consumer spending depressed, even though it's not nearly... Right. It's not nearly as bad as it could be. No. I, I think it's going to be really interesting when we end the PS5 Xbox series cycle and look ahead that we're going to have to go back two cycles to see, to compare trends. Yeah. Because going back to 2020 is not going to be a reasonable No, it's not a reasonable, it's not a reasonable comparison. I think that August, like July, August, from what I remember, maybe not July, but definitely August. August usually is a slower month. It is. Yep. But I think that in 2020, yeah, the, the hardware spend was down significantly. I think it was down like 20%. Was it? I, I, I thought so. it didn't. I, for some reason, I remember that not happening until we got pricing, which was in September. Maybe that's it. Maybe I'm remembering September. I'm not sure. But it was around that period, that yeah, yeah, three-month yeah. period of like, I think it was September. 
or August, September, October, where mm-hmm. things were like hardware spend was down sequentially. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, my recollection is it didn't actually really slow at all like you would normally expect at the end of a cycle until we had pricing for Xbox Series and PS5. Right. All right. All right. Hardware. Hardware was up 14% from August 2021 to $375 million due to improved supply of both PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series consoles. As Matt and we have been saying for months and months and months, supply is going to be the hallmark of how hardware does, not demand, because the demand is there. Yeah. It has been there. It will continue to be there. Let's let's be realistic. Let's talk about very quickly what we would normally be seeing in the third holiday season for a console. Not only would we be seeing up, up, up because of supply being up, 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 we'd also be seeing our first price drops and we'd be seeing uh, extreme bundling. Lots and lots of bundling. What and we're we not, not going to see that. We're not really seeing it. We're seeing occasional bundles. Like we saw, I mean, think about how many special edition consoles that we saw for the Xbox One and then the X, and the Xbox 360. We're even not seeing I, that. Even if I look back, even if we go back two generations and I take a look at what happened with the PlayStation 3, mm-hmm. there were so many bundles yeah. that happened with the PlayStation 3 that made it a more affordable option outside of the United States. Because remember, pricing outside of the United States was like legit. It was yeah. it was expensive to purchase a PlayStation 3 yeah. at the beginning. And instead, we're seeing, as if you'll recall, PlayStation 5 prices going up pretty much everywhere except the United States. Xbox Series prices staying level. Switch prices staying level. So we're not seeing those price drops that we would normally see at this point in the cycle. But Nintendo is keeping things level because they because they are so late in the life cycle that they yeah. like that a price increase would just alienate consumers. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Uh, year to date hardware spend is down 4% to $2.9 billion. PlayStation five was August bestseller in terms of both units and dollar sales. Switch still leads units for 2022. PS five is ahead in dollar sales. Both PlayStation five and Xbox series had double digit growth. Again, Not both surprising. of them being able to get supply out. And I'm sure a chunk of this is due to the crypto crash. I would imagine so. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's talk about software. Madden NFL 22 took the top spot in August and was immediately the fifth best selling game of 2022. This marks Madden's 23rd consecutive first place debut. Yep. Uh, Despite middling reviews, PlayOn, formerly Koch Media, uh, uh, Deep Silver, Saints Row Reboot debuted at number two. So I am very interested to see where that lands in September's report, though, because I have a funny feeling it's going to fall off a cliff. It would not surprise me if it drops all the way off the top 10. Yeah, that would not surprise me either. Marvel's Spider-Man jumped to number three from... Spider-Man! From 84 on the launch of the PC version of the game. Elden Ring dropped from number two to number four. Yep. Multiverses dropped from number one to number five. Again, this is just Founders Packs. It does not account for additional in-game transactions. So that, that's continuing to do really, really well for Warner Brothers. Absolutely. Mario Kart 8 climbed to number six from number seven. Remember, Nintendo doesn't include, doesn't, doesn't send out them digital sales. Nope. Minecraft also climbed this month from number nine to number seven. Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga slipped from number three to number eight. And still not a bad thing. This game is doing exceptionally well. It's what, the second best seller of the year behind Elden Ring yep. right now? That's really, really impressive. People were hungry for Lego games. Yeah, and this this one's fantastic. I need to get back to it. MLB The Show 22 dropped to number nine from number six. And again, that doesn't include Xbox and Switch digital sales. Xenoblade Chronicles dropped from number four to number ten. Some other notables. 
Horizon Forbidden West climbed to number 12 from 28 due to a pricing promotion. Soul Hackers 2 debuted at number 15. Gran Turismo 7 climbed to 17 from 31. I wonder what's going on there. Maybe some... Maybe some new cars. It could also be a pricing promotion. Mm. It, it, part of the whole thing. Part of that, the whole thing, yeah. 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 Uh, and Skyrim back in the top 20 at number 19. Oh, Skyrim. And uh, yeah, we'll talk about... It's between Skyrim and GTA 5, and we'll talk about GTA a little bit later. 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 Uh, Amanda, talk to me about mobile. So mobile fell 10%. This doesn't surprise me. With Google Play suffering a 22% drop in spending year over year. Now, the Apple App Store, on the other hand only dropped 1.2%. Yeah. That when we talk about then this, this I'm going to I'm going to pull us back into the whole Epic and Apple thing for a second mm-hmm. just for a quick sec. When Epic is talking about how Apple has the market cornered in the app store in the app market, yeah. they're not messing around. People spend big time with Apple on the Apple App Store. Mm-hmm. You're not going to see that over on Google Play, namely because those phones are less expensive, they're less exclusive, all of that stuff. You know, they don't have the walled garden approach. Sure. It's not as it's not as curated or manicured, I suppose. Yep. So that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Mobile falling 10%, mobile had to correct. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, accessories to wrap up this report down 18% to $138 million with game pads and headsets. The hardest hit, not entirely surprising. It'll be interesting. 18% is a lot though. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see when I I don't even remember what it's called. PlayStation at Gamescom announced there, or is it uh, at TGS, I guess announced their, it wasn't a Gamescom announced their version, their answer to the Xbox elite controller. I'm curious to see what that does. It's modular. It has two back paddles. yeah, I don't, I don't, mm. I don't know. I'm interested in, I, I'm a huge back paddle fan and apparently they're really useful in Metal Hellsinger, I saw someone say. So if you're oh, playing okay. Metal Hellsinger, play with Which is on controller. Xbox Game Pass. It is. Uh, year-to-date accessory spending is down 14% to $1.4 billion. PlayStation 5 DualSense Midnight Black was the best seller. Xbox Elite Series 2 is still topping the year. Okay. And with that. We're moving right along into Investment Interlude, where we talk about money, money, money. Money! All right, remember when AppLovin put in a $20 billion bid to merge with Unity last month? I do remember this. Yeah, remember the board rejected the bid? I do remember this. So AppLovin, you know, was considering revising its strategy, and they're like, oh, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out, we'll, go, we'll come back with another offer. Yeah, according to CNBC, AppLovin has decided to not revise its bid and will be backing away from any further merger negotiations. The Apple Eleven deal would have overridden the Iron Source merger. Um, that's what that that was actually one of the terms. Oh, apparently, okay. up the bid. I is figured. There, yeah. Is there like no? You have to abandon the Iron Source thing. You know, we want to be the guy. Okay. So obviously, the board rejected the Apple Eleven bid, but they recently approved the Iron Source merger. Got it. So what you're saying is Unity wasn't ba da ba 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 Apple Eleven it. <laughs> that's actually really good. <laughs> That's really messed up, but it's really good. <laughs> what? Thank you. That's my that's my brand. Messed up, but pretty good. It's messed up, but pretty good. I like that. I like that. Seven years of that, though. Yep. All right. Speaking of Unity and their merger plans with Iron Source, the maybe not game development engine company has announced that it will be increasing the per seat pricing on all plans except Unity Personal and Unity Plus starting on October 13th. Puts a real exclamation point on Unity's priorities here, too. I I I feel like this is 
some unforced bad news. Like they have been in the in the news over and over and over again for stupid shit. And it's like you you why are you doing this right now? This is not the this is not the way. What what is your insight in this? Like what do you think is motivating this? So I think that like obviously the increase in like inflation comes for us all. Uh-huh. Right? And so I'm sure that there's got to be some consideration in there for like how much money it's costing to to keep everything updated for R&D for all of that stuff. And like that's that's fine. That's regular stuff, but you don't usually increase the pricing for anything except for like your biggest fish. Mm-hmm. But this, the, especially for Unity Pro, this is this, this sucks. Yeah. This sucks a lot. And Unity Enterprise makes sense. Unity Industrial Collection makes sense. So Unity Enterprise is for large studios, mm-hmm. for like big studios. And Unity Industrial Collection is actually for CAD and for 2D and 3D AR. So like that's for creating showrooms, that's for creating things like fashion shows, that's for that's for like your more commercial outside of gaming nonsense. That's okay. what that is. And that's per seat, just to be clear. Yes. So but the Unity Pro stuff, this sucks. So the Unity Pro annual prepaid pricing will be $2,040 per year. And annual monthly paid plans will be $185 a month. So, and that's up from $1,800 a year. Yeah, that's that's a big... That's a big jump. That's a big increase. And for small studios that do need that per seat price, that sucks. Yeah. And I, I like that they didn't touch Unity Personal and Unity Plus. I think that that's really important because those are, you know, those are for the small, those are for the small studios, the micro studios, the single person studios for students. But to me, the increases to Unity Pro is really speaking volumes about what they're concerned about here. Increasing pricing for Enterprise, increasing pricing for Unity Industrial, those both make sense. Unity Pro, for your small studios, does not. Yeah. And it's, it seems like a... Um... I don't even know if I would go so far as to say it's an unforced error. I think that this is really bad timing. And I think that it wasn't communicated well enough as to why the price was really going up. Like they went into how it was going up and what the, I I don't know. I didn't feel like I understood. I didn't feel like there was enough transparency in that blog post. Sure. When I read it. Sure. That doesn't surprise me though. So there's, there's that whole situation. That's, oh boy. All I know is that, um, Unreal Engine is uh, looking a lot better these days. And also, hey, folks, I know that building game engines is really, 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 really hard, but maybe now's the time. Yeah. Uh, Focus Entertainment has announced the acquisition of Blackmail Games, a 15-person team based in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Studios known for WW1 games. Love that World War One, Including Vardon, Tannenberg, and this week's release, or last week's release of Isonzo. Okay. Uh, Blackmail is the sixth of Focus's wholly owned studios. Okay. Uh, no terms were disclosed, but the deal should close before the end of this fiscal year. Very cool. A team of former Gearbox and Riot devs have raised $5.5 million in seed funding for new studio Ruckus Games. Funding was led by Transcend Fund, which focuses on new ventures from accomplished professionals in the industry. Bitcraft Ventures and One-Up Ventures also participated. Ruckus is working on a, quote, cross-platform cooperative game built with proprietary procedural technology. 
Sounds kind of cool, actually. Mm-hmm. The studio is based in Frisco, Texas, but is fully remote. Very interesting. Uh, Tencent. Oh, Tencent. And we're going to talk about you a little bit later, Tencent. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tencent has made a minority investment in Mordhouse Studio Triturnian. You may recall that Mordhouse was a magnet for racist and toxic players. Yep. And the developers did jack all to deal with their community. Mm-hmm. Uh, no terms were disclosed, but this isn't the only bad decision Tencent has made recently. We'll talk about that later. One other little bit about Tencent. Uh, former Sony uh, Interactive Entertainment head Sean Layden uh, signed on as a strategic advisor to Tencent. So, I don't know. We're going to talk about Tencent a little bit later. Uh, yeah, it's will. just icky. Yep, super icky. This is not, though. A team of devs who worked on the ex- who worked on Expeditions Rome, which I love. Mm-hmm. It's a great game. Yep. The Hitman franchise and Hunt Showdown. That game scares the crap out of me. Yeah, I can't it's a really play scary it. Game. It's so scary. I, I don't I don't know how people play it, but it's so scary. It freaks me out. They just wear diapers. Uh, maybe. Have announced their new studio have announced their new studio, Campfire Cabal. It will operate under THQ Nordic as it works to create its first game, a narrative driven RPG. Very cool. Yep. Especially if they worked on Expeditions Rome, which means they probably also worked on Expeditions Viking, mm-hmm. which is primo. If you like the Expedition series and you slept on Expeditions Viking, fix it. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, all right. Chunky. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Microsoft and Sony continue to spar over the Activision acquisition. Uh, a couple weeks ago, the UK Competition and Markets Authority weighed in on Microsoft's proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard. The group's preliminary ruling says that the deal, quote, may be expected to result in a substantial lessening of competition within a market or markets in the United Kingdom. The CMA says that Microsoft potentially withholding uh, Activision Blizzard games from other consoles and subscription services might be a problem, and that the deal might, quote, raise barriers to entry and foreclose rivals in cloud gaming services. This reads like Jim Ryan stuck his hand up the CMA's butt and worked him like a puppet. Like, it feels like Sony wrote this statement because it, it it's nonsense. The whole thing just doesn't make sense. The UK is not a big market for Microsoft. Mm-mm. The UK is not a... I'm not sure if the UK is a big market for anyone. Well, especially now that they've divorced, from, they've divorced themselves from the EU. Yeah. Yeah. Absolute nonsense. Um, in a tweet... There's common sense and then there's nonsense. And this is the latter. And this is the latter. Uh, In a tweet, the CMA boiled down its objection, saying the deal, quote, could substantially lessen competition in gaming consoles. Sony already has run at the table in... I have so many questions, all of which begin with why. Yeah. I don't... This is is such a nonsense statement. It was. This feels like that... So, yeah. So, Sony's got the ear of someone or someone's in positions of power... This is this is problematic because no one it feels like and this is this is coming from this is anecdotal and this is analysis anytime that Sony has you know their their console exclusives no one bats an eye. Nope. But Microsoft comes in and gets console exclusives and people are like whoa 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 what are you doing here? Yeah. And the other thing is yeah, it's very, I, it seems we'll, very we'll strange. Go, to we'll me. go through this like step by step, but this is such bullshit to me. Um, they said that it could substantially lessen competition in multi-game subscription services. Let us be very clear about something: Sony was first to market with PlayStation. Now, how many it, times do we have to say this? 
They, they were first to market. It they is had not first market anybody advantage. else's fault that Sony did not properly capitalize on its first mover advantage. And they could substantially lessen competition in cloud gaming services. Again, PlayStation Now was a cloud gaming service. It was first to market. Everything indicates that Sony should be running the table. Their but strategy around PS... Yes. They squandered it. Yes. I'm sorry. Like, there's no there's no gentle way to put that. No. They simply squandered the advantage because they did not see the benefit in pursuing it. And it is because, for the most part, Sony Interactive Entertainment has been myopic for a number of years. They figure, oh, we did so well with the PlayStation 4. Why should we have to worry? Mm -hmm. You know, we're consistent in delivering high-quality experiences with our consoles, What's the problem here? Well, the problem is that everything has changed around subscription services. Everything has changed with regards to cloud gaming. There's there's a lot that people that the people at Sony Interactive Entertainment are not understanding. And all Microsoft has to has to do, all Microsoft should have to do is provide evidence that Sony incorporates blocking clauses and pays blocking fees to developers to counteract this. You know, every exclusive, like exclusives are, have been part of the business dating all the way back to 8-bit. Yeah. If not early. I mean, I don't know if you would consider going back further than that, but if you want to talk about where console wars quotes started in Nintendo and Sega, there were console exclusives. Sure. And there, there always have been. And I, and I think the reason why things really started heating, I mean, like things were heat, were heated in the nineties for crying out loud. Mm -hmm. It wasn't. People had the console in their households, but that's no longer the case. No. People have multiple consoles in their households, and it's not even just because, oh, well, you know, we're just a device agnostic house. Well, it's, there are different games on different consoles, and yeah. we've all just kind of accepted that console exclusives are a thing that happened. Right. Absolutely. So as soon as the preliminary ruling came out, Microsoft published a blog post sharing what Phil Spencer told Jim Ryan privately. Microsoft is committed to keeping Call of Duty on PlayStation and shipping the same version simultaneously on that platform. And I mean, all, all we have to do is look to Minecraft. Absolutely. All we have to do is look to Minecraft. Minecraft is available on pretty much every platform imaginable. Any platform that you can play Minecraft on or have been able to play Minecraft on, it's, it's there. I'm going to go one further on this because I, wanna, I want us to look back at what happened when Bedrock came out. Mm -hmm. And Microsoft said, we want, we want the best ex Minecraft experience on every platform. Sony was the one who slammed yeah, the brakes. They did. Microsoft and Nintendo worked. Yeah, you did. Microsoft and Nintendo worked together to ensure that there was cross-platform play, to ensure that there was cross-saves, to ensure that people's uh, purchases worked from platform to platform. And Sony was the one who threw a temper tantrum. Hell, I mean, Microsoft could even look at the whole Fortnite situation. It was it was the same year. It was the same year that this happened. It was in like within two months, two mm -hmm. or three months of each other when Microsoft announced Bedrock and said, hey, we want this to be multi-platform. But then it was like two months later that they were opening up and saying, yeah, we want Fortnite to be cross-progression. Cross, like we want the account to work everywhere because we want the best experience for the player. Mm -hmm. This is Sony continuing to dig their heels in and say, we don't care about the player. Absolutely. That whole for the player motto is oh, such a Oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anymore. So, I, I mean, the other thing with Minecraft, you know, you, if you watched what happened when, my, when the Mojang acquisition was announced, Sony fans shit the bed. They're like, oh, we're going to lose Minecraft. Microsoft's going to pull Minecraft to offense. They're like, no, 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 no. We would, we would not do that. We don't want to do that. It, and it's not even... 
Like it's not altruism. It's good business. It is good business. It's and good it, business because you are leaving money on the table. The more you shut people out, the 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 less chance you have of folding in those players eventually to buy other games on your platform. If absolutely. you fold those players in, then it's goodwill, sure, but you're also getting their money. Absolutely. Because that's all that's all capitalism is, right? I mean, it's about making money and why would you shut the door on making more money? Well, and that is effectively what what Microsoft, what Microsoft and Phil Spencer have said. Like, hey, guys, it's not reasonable for us. It's not financially savvy for us to not continue publishing Call of Duty on... And which is one of the biggest sellers in the world. Absolutely. Why would we cut those players off? We want to serve that community. Now, that, that doesn't mean that other properties that come out aren't going to be exclusive. We've seen this whole thing like... Elder Scrolls Online, of course, which is not nearly at the scale of Call of Duty in terms no. of revenue. But yeah, okay, but, but a game like Starfield, which is a single-player RPG, that's yeah, going to be... Yeah, it's, a, it's an exclusive that's game. That's going to be a console... That's going to be like a Microsoft platform exclusive, and that's okay. It is okay. Absolutely. Just like... And, and here's the thing. Like, if Sony ever does anything with Destiny, couldn't Microsoft turn around and be like... I mean, but, but they, they wouldn't. And for the same reasons, and I think that's the part that bothers me here is Sony knows. No, they're just they they they're just drumming up trouble. Absolutely. The funny thing is there were comments this week like EA is like, no, best case scenario for us is if Call of Duty goes exclusive. Best case scenario for Battlefield is if Call of Duty goes exclusive. So it so the so the opinion is not shared across across the industry. Um, Microsoft also confirmed plans to bring Overwatch, Diablo, and Call of Duty to Game Pass so more people can access them, including via the cloud. Now, this is the thing. What does the competition authority, what is the purpose? The purpose is to ensure that consumers do not get harmed by anti-competitive behavior. If the idea here is we're going to make more games available to more people for less money... Kind of seems to me like the consumers are not getting hosed here. You're just protecting Sony at this point, and that is shit, man. It's That's dis- not It's good. deeply disingenuous. So in response, PlayStation CEO Jim Ryan called Microsoft's offer, quote, inadequate on many levels. He also suggested that Phil Spencer only offered three more years of guaranteed releases on PlayStation consoles. Look, I... I even if that is the case, which I don't think it would be because it would be a foolish business decision, just absolutely foolish for them to be like, oh yeah, maybe only three years. Like, I doubt this very much. Here's what I expect happened. Phil Spencer said to Jim Ryan, you guys have a marketing deal for the next three years. Of course, we are absolutely guaranteed We're going to honor that. And our intent is to keep it on. So Phil, so Jim Ryan comes out and says, well, they only guaranteed it for three years. Yeah, because that's only... As long as you sign for it. Yeah. Like, knock it off. But, so, but, but but stating the intent should matter here. This really bothers me. It does. It bothers me too. Uh, so what we're looking at is an in-depth investigation in the UK and also potentially in the EU. So we'll see what happens here. Mm. Yeah. It's, this, is, this is a thorny issue and I feel like Sony is being disingenuous and I, I, I have a funny feeling that this, their objections are going to turn around and bite them in the ass. They are setting themselves up for an enormous FAFO award. Yeah. A little yeah. bit. A little bit. All right, well, let's move right along to our final investment story. We'll talk a little bit more about Ubisoft in the labor report, but the company will not be purchased by Tencent. Instead, Tencent has increased its stake in Ubisoft to 11% with permission to increase to 17%. The deal values Ubisoft at $10 billion. This deal is interesting in the way that the purchase comes by way of a 49.9% stake in Gimo Brothers Limited, which is the entity that holds 
the Guimau family's 15% stake and 5% voting rights. So they kind of like, it feels like it's almost an end run, but it was like approved. Well, this is an interesting, and this kind of goes back to the original, I think it was Reuters story, where the Guimaus were interested in selling off potentially all of their stake, but what they did was they sold off 50% of their stake, essentially. Yeah. That's... So they've, they've divested a chunk. A big chunk. However, they still control in terms of voting. 5%. Uh, right. They, they, so the so that entity, the Guimau Brothers Limited Entity, still controls what it controlled before. And within that entity, the family still controls most of this. It's just that Tencent has, has a new revenue pipeline. Right. So as a result, Tencent cannot sell its shares for five years or increase its direct stake. So if they wanted to invest further in Ubisoft directly, they cannot inc- they cannot do that for more than 9.99%. And I think prior to this, it was 5% when they, were, when they made their original yeah. uh, investment because that, they didn't that wanna, stopped they didn't, the hostile takeover from... We, we uh, did not want to do the Vivendi thing all over again right. because Tencent came in and swooped, swooped in to stop the Vivendi hostile takeover. Mm-hmm. So the deal does not give Tencent board seats. That's an important piece of the puzzle. Again, we will have more to say about Ubisoft in the labor report because, oh my goodness, is there a lot to say. Yep. But in the meantime... Let's take a break. Virtual Economy is an F-squared initiative. And along with pro bono business consulting for up-and-coming developers, it's a way we are working to give back to the community that has already given us so much. To find out more about F-Squared and the services we can provide, including pitch prep, media training, mock reviews, and business strategy guidance, visit our website at fsquared.biz. And we're back. Hey, Mike. Yes. What time is it? It's time for Quick Hits. Oh, man. First up, this is sad. This This first one's sad. Yeah. So 343 Industries studio head Bonnie Ross has announced her departure from the studio. Ross said she is leaving to attend a family medical issue after 15 years with the Halo franchise and 28 years with Microsoft. Her role is being split into three parts. Production lead Pierre Hintz will take over as studio head. Brian Kosky is becoming GM of the franchise. And Elizabeth Van Wyck will lead business and operations. Uh, this is a weird one. Uh, Jason Blundell, former Treyarch Studio co-head and co-founder of Deviation Games. Remember they were on stage uh, during the summer game fest and they just like walked out on stage and talked about their game a little bit and there wasn't anything to show? Yeah, it was kind of strange. Yeah, uh, so Jason Blundell has unexpectedly and unceremoniously departed the team. Oh, weird. Yeah, Deviation has a deal with Sony for a new IP. Co-founder Dave Anthony, also formerly of Treyarch, will be the new CEO. Oh, that is very strange. Uh, Microsoft has set the stage for some new elements in the Xbox app. In addition to loading up up to 15% faster, there is now how long to beat integration, which is kind of cool. I actually really like how long to beat because if I'm looking for a palate cleanser, looking for a shorter game, not really, if I know I have a job coming up and it's like, I want a game that's going to take me under 10 hours that I know I can knock out. I I use it. Like I I really do use it. I look at my library here, the games I'm interested in playing. Um, I have actually seen some people say, hey, this isn't necessarily a great thing because 
four players, it will draw a stricter line between how many hours a game is and the value or the price associated with it. Oh, well, that's a bummer. It to is. me, I, I again, I'm like you. If I if I need to find something that's relatively short, or if I want to dive into a new game, I kind of want to see what I'm investing in. Yeah, because I already own the game. Right. I'm not basing purchasing decisions on how long. To and wait. I think that's the difference here. Is I don't like basing. I don't. I don't ever want to base my purchase decisions on how long a game is. Oh, I, I don't. do want to because you that's remember, not my that's not my most valuable resource right now. You remember when I picked up Signs of the Sojourner? Yeah. Signs of the Sojourner is not a. It's not a long game. No. It's like like five or six hours or something mm-hmm. like that to beat it. But that's just like one pathway. Right. You know, you can go over and over and over again in Signs of the Sojourner. So to me, if I was basing a purchase decision on how long it took to beat a game, like you can't measure a number of games, including Signs of the Sojourner, as a one-time playthrough. Right. And that's kind of the thing I love about the How Long to Beat website is it shows you what Completing the game is what completing the game with extras, a completionist run. So it gives you those different categories and it's all community fed. Yeah. So I like that. I like it a lot. Uh, One other note on Xbox, uh, Discord Voice is now available on Xbox, making that now on both key platforms, PlayStation and Xbox, which is great. Love it. Very cool. Uh, On the Sony side, the PlayStation team confirmed that the PSVR 2 won't be backward compatible with PSVR games because, quote... PSVR 2 is designed to deliver a truly next generation VR experience. Uh, drop this drop this marketing point. If you are marketing it. hardware and you are trying to tell people, hey, your investment it's, in software is not going to carry forward, do not tell them it's because you don't want to look back. Because this is, here's the thing. You want people to take away from this statement. It's going to be such a cool experience. You won't want ever to go back. And when in reality, it's likely that the hardware of the previous generation is not like the software built on the hardware of the last generation cannot carry forward because there would be too many, too many issues in bringing it forward. It is okay to just lean into that and say, you know, there are, there are technical limitations of the previous generation. And it's not that we don't want your games to move forward with us. We're going to work with developers to see if there are ways to port those games into PSVR 2. But for now, you'll just have to enjoy them on your original PSVR game. Right. Or your original PSVR headset. It's To me, it's like, treat your audience with respect. Trust your audience to be reasonable. They're not always going to be. But if you have to, if you come from a place of treating your audience like they're, like they're logical people, then what you could say is, hey, look, we want to bring as much of this content forward as possible. We're exploring ways... To make that possible for for as many games as possible, but the reality right. is because of the technological leap. Yeah, that. Remember part. that PSVR one required an external camera for tracking, and it used the Move controllers. Mm-hmm. PSVR two, similar to the Quest two, and the Quest uses inside out tracking, so there's cameras on the outside to track your position in space, uh, and is tethered by one one controller, and it has or one cable, and it uses different controllers. Now, someone said, "Well, what about PC?" VR games on PC are, you know, designed to use a variety of modalities. But here's the thing. We don't know what decisions were made on the technical no side idea. with PSVR. And it could be that the, la- that, the, that the controller layers 
aren't built to accept multiple inputs. They're really just built to very specifically make the best use of the move controllers. The most important thing to remember is that if you are not a VR developer, chances are you have no idea what goes into developing VR games. Right. We don't know what there goes is into no developing VR games. There is no checkbox published to PSVR 2. Yeah. It's it, it's likely very complicated because of decisions that are made around PSVR. This was a Japanese uh, developer talking... Uh, about this and this very face-saving approach i understand where it comes from but, but it does bad. not serve the audience it's it bad. is bad pr it is bad communications it doesn't it's respect the audience optics it's like, terrible it's it's honest to god it's terrible if there are actual reasons behind this like technological reasons behind this just be open and say so absolutely treat your players like they're smart yes. they chances are they are you're gonna have people who complain about it and, here's and that's the okay thing. I could, I could, if you come forward and say, hey, look, there are technical limitations. We're working with developers as best as we can to create new versions or patches and provide those in a way that makes sense. Um, you know, fine, sure, whatever. But I can respond to that and be like, I don't like this. This doesn't make me feel good, but I understand it. Right. Uh, you can't cater to the lowest common denominator of a vocal internet angry person. <laughs> I guess that's fair. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, moving right along. Moving right along. Midnight Suns, Firaxis' Marvel tactical game, will apparently launch this year? I am really surprised. They really made it seem like it wasn't coming until spring 2020. I'm confused. I am deeply, deeply confused. Uh, The game is slated for December 2nd. But like we were saying, we're confused because it seemed like Midnight Suns would be pushed to 2023. I... I'm worried. I am worried. I'm hopeful. I'm very excited. I love Firaxis. I love Marvel games. I You I, know my love of Firaxis. You oh understand. Oh gosh, I do. You understand. I do. Um, so fingers crossed on that one. I'm I'm in day one. I'm looking forward to it, but we'll see what happens. Yup. Uh EA making smart moves here. The Sims 4 base game will be free to play starting on October 18th. Great decision. That's not where they make the most most of their money right now. That game is, is discounted decision. over and over and over again. It's to, to like, get you into the into the expansions. And then it's like, oh, I want pets. Oh, I want kids. Oh, oh I want to go to college. Like You can you can have kids in the game right no. from the beginning. You can? Yeah. You but can there's a make whole... them. You can't have them. Right, you but... can create them as like mini sims. Right. But what I'm saying is there's so many DLC options out there that that's where they're going to make most of their money. Um, also out of EA, that mysterious partner game that was sitting on the release schedule has finally been revealed. It's yep. a team up with Koei Tecmo's Omega Force. It is not, however, a Musou game. I love that he had to like, sp- he's pointing. He's pointing at me because he knows that I'm like, I'm not in because it's Omega Force and they make Musou games. This new title is going to be a, quote, hunting game uh, that does not mean, like, Big Buck Hunter. Okay. It's more like Monster Hunter Dauntless, it seems. It's Mm. set in a... It's a new IP set in a fantastical version of Feudal Japan. Okay. Uh, But that's not all out of EA. What else we got? Uh, So the studio has has confirmed that Marcus Leto's new Ridgeline Game Studio, based in Seattle, is working on a narrative campaign set in the battlefield universe. I think that's a great fit. I also think that's a great fit. Yeah, I'm excited to see what happens there. Me too. All right, finally, we have a pair of Twitch stories, one of them that isn't even in the show notes because it just broke in the wee hours in the morning. Uh, Twitch is getting ready to shut down some gambling streams. However, this is not a gambling ban as it is being reported somewhere. 
Yeah, this this comes after a large streamer defrauded other large streamers to pay for gambling. Yeah, there's like a crypto scam and it's it's messy. It's all the drama I don't want to touch with a ten foot pole. Yeah, we don't we don't indulge in streamer drama in this house. The the one thing I will say about this though is you had a group of very large streamers calling for a boycott of Twitch over gambling streams, and some of these people were in the same circles that when uh, the Twitch blackout conversations were happening on our day off twitch right mm-hmm. i remember um, that and we, we talked we, to raven about this which you should go listen to it's one of our bonus episodes i think it might be either bonus episode one or bonus episode two um one of the things that we didn't talk about on in that conversation because we were keeping everything about the action about and positive there were streamers of this size that are in this group of people who were who are talking who were talking about boycotting twitch who said oh boycotts don't work I'm not going to participate in that. Yeah, because it didn't personally affect them because they didn't actually give a shit. Yeah, the hypocrisy is enormous. Gross. So anyway, this is really messy. Uh, The publicity around this has led Twitch to prepare for the end of this type of stream on October 18th. Sort of, yeah. So the the new not-a-ban will include slots, roulette, or dice games that aren't licensed either in the U.S. or other jurisdictions that provide sufficient consumer protection... Yeah, that's like a loophole to drive a truck through. Yeah, it is. Uh, These sites will include stake, roll bit, dual bits, and rubet. However, sports betting, fantasy sports, and poker will still be allowed. Yeah, so don't call it a ban. It's not a ban. It's they are covering their own asses, and quite frankly, definitely a big old CYA. If they're if they were letting people gamble on sites that weren't sanctioned, like Twitch had been exposed to some. This has been a problem for a while. It is not Twitch's only problem by far. Uh, and and we're gonna that'll slide us right into the second story, which again we don't even have in the show notes. And the wee hours of the morning, I mean you want to talk about taking out the trash. Twitch announced that it uh, admitted to one of the worst kept secrets in stream in the streaming space that it has, 70 30 splits for some creators mm-hmm. i'd say well we've never talked about it openly but you know it's well known uh but we're ending that so they are going to any streamer that because they, they apparently that had been the case for some for some up-and-coming streamers uh they had given them 70 30 splits when those contracts expire they are not going to be getting 70 30 splits anymore everybody's going to be on 50 50 and the reason they say it's like oh well we haven't really talked about how expensive it is to stream and how much it costs for for people to stream um also you know we just give you uh the 50 50 split on amazon prime mem- uh, Am- uh amazon prime subscriptions and people don't actually pay for that which I don't even know what to do with that. Yes, they do. Yeah, they do. It's part of their subscription. Yeah. Whether they use it or not is a different story, but it is part of every single Amazon Prime member subscription that they pay for. So. That's certainly, so that's, that's certainly a thing. It's, and they are getting shellacked over the corpse speak in this thing. It's like, also, we, incre- also we increased like our, our, our ad revenue cut for you. Also, now we're paying out at $50 instead of $100. And it's like... Ah. Uh, you know what? We could have a whole conversation around monetization on Twitch and why it's broken. But instead... Yeah. Oh, yeah. And those were quick hits. Okay. All right. We, we've got some labor report stuff to talk about. Oh, man. We got some doozies. All right. 
Here we go. Let's start talking about Ubisoft. Now, earlier in the show, we talked about how Tencent's not going to buy out the Gimo family, although they bought almost 50% of the Gimo family's holdings via the Gimo family's organization and all that stuff. But now we got to talk about some other stuff going on because the Gimo family's staying on and Yves Gimo is staying in his role. Yep. Uh, there was recently a Ubisoft forward direct presentation. Yeah. Um, obviously, we're we're not covering all much of that. Although, hold on, because we'll talk about it a little bit later. A little bit. Yeah. Uh, for a very humorous reason. Uh, but apparently, they brought a number of members of the press to France to company headquarters. Yeah. Including. Uh, Axios is Steven Totillo, who interviewed Yves Guimot. I've interviewed Yves Guimot a number of times. I actually did an interview uh, each issue in Game Informer. I don't know if they still do this. There was a there was an interview section with someone important in the gaming industry, and I interviewed Yves Guimot at uh, at Gamescom. Uh, this is before all of the stuff, and and I actually liked talking to Eve. I thought that his perspective on the industry was really interesting. And then of course everything comes out, and it's like oh oh oh, oh no oh no oh no yeah. Uh, so, of course, uh, Totillo did exactly what you would expect him to do and asked the hard questions about the the if, labor issues. If there's one thing that we can expect from Totillo is that he will always ask these questions. I have really, I've honestly really been enjoying the work that he's been doing that's come out of Axios. I, I like him better in a an active journalist role than I do in an EIC role. Uh-huh. That's okay. I, I, think... I like me better in an active analyst role than I ever liked me in an EIC role. So, like... He and I share that. I just like shitposting. I s- I'm only on Instagram, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but dog vids. Nothing but dog vids. All right. So uh, asking Yves Guimot about the toxicity issues and the harassment and all the other workplace issues, mm-hmm. uh, here's what Guimot had to say. Quote, I think we're a very good company and we had problems. We solved them and the goal is to be again the best place. Uh, one thing that actually stands out to me here is that strikes me as a direct quote. And one of the things, if you've ever talked to Yves Guimot, uh, and interacted with his PR handlers, they are very careful. They actually want you to paraphrase what Yves says because English is not his first language. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it does not seem to me that Stephen did that. And I, I appreciate that with regard to this because it's really important to get these quotes exactly right like if you're talking about games if you're talking about strategy it's like okay we can massage this a little bit so that you know he doesn't sound quite as stilted because again english is not a second language but here here this is english is a second language right english is not his first language english is you know not you know could be a second language maybe maybe you know but not his first language is what i meant to say yeah uh i think we can safely say that that the ubisoft is not solved the problems and I think that there there is I can't a, imagine that a better Ubisoft had good things to say about no, this. No, they didn't, and we will most certainly get to their perspective on this. This strikes me as really strange, uh, that he would believe that the problems were solved and state that the problems were solved because it's it's clearly not the case. But it also shows that that as as we said in the episode title, he is not the person to fix the culture. No. And no, this is I... alarming. This is actually alarming to me. Yep. I would tend to agree. Gimo also presented to a gathering of media and Ubisoft executives to discuss the recent investment from Tencent. Yeah, so obviously, as we know, 
uh, you know, Tencent is not, they're it's not, not outright purchasing or controlling. Either. Yeah. And, and they, they opted for no board seats as a result of this, which means they are just diversifying their holdings. And we've talked about that a number of times. A lot over the last couple of years. Uh, so let's see what else he said. Uh, Mo said that, uh, Ubisoft stum- quote stumbled in its handling of workplace culture. Quote, there was a new young generation coming into the company with different needs, he said. And we had to adapt. I think we didn't adapt fast enough to what people expected and needed. So he's attributing this to, quote, generational differences. And I... I the As only- a member of the generational difference that he's talking about, and at 36 years old, what? I, I'm actually going to defend him here for a second. And say that... The there, devil doesn't need an advocate, Michael. There are generational differences in that uh, women did not feel comfortable speaking up. And now they do. So maybe maybe this isn't, this isn't an this issue isn't of... This isn't a generational this issue. This isn't a generational perspective issue. This is... You now an have... An empowerment this issue. This is an empowerment issue. This is a... This is not... To say that it's a generally, generational issue implies that... Uh, that the new generation expects different. And I think that the the issue here, the only thing that is a generational difference is the ability for people who are marginalized, who are harassed to speak up. So I'll give you half a point, Eve. Okay, I see what he did there. I'm going to allow him to have this one. I'm going to keep that in the show. (laughs) (laughs) She was ready to leap at me. You're defending Eve Guimau. Are you mad? No, I'm not actually. No, not actually. No, And and I knew that. I knew that. Um, but I think, I think that there's a lot, there's a lot to be said about, you know, younger generations feeling more empowered to speak up because we had parents that said, you do not have to accept less. You do not have to accept less. And that's how I was, that's how I was raised is yes, you are a woman, but no, you do not need to accept less than a man. You do not need to accept men in the workplace being handsy. You do not... And thankfully that's never really happened to me, but I have been spoken over, demeaned. I have been aggressively siloed. I have been yelled at. I have been all of these things, but I've just- You've been harassed. You have been harassed in the workplace. I, yeah, I I guess, I guess, but it's not something that like was- chronic i guess throughout all of the no work that no no I've done. i'm just saying that these are things that happen and they are things that happen to more people than you realize at more places than you realize yeah, it's it's pretty much everywhere and it's not a generational divide it's just simply we like millennials and gen z were raised different we were raised to not accept the status quo and if we were forced to accept it we're like no that our whole world was thrown into complete tumult when we were children. Yes. Like, no, that's not how we're going to do things. So we're going to do it different. There's a, there's a, there are enough red flags here that Those really are a indicate lot of red flags. that he just does not grasp the issues. Understand, acknowledge, accept, and take responsibility for the workplace culture that was allowed to breed over 30 years at Ubisoft. And he's just not the right... He can't fix it. I don't believe he is physically, mentally, emotionally capable of fixing these issues. He's acting like a king, not a CEO. Oh. Well, and let's talk about the Gimo family a little bit. They, uh, prior to the Vivendi hostile takeover, owned Gameloft, or mm-hmm. controlled Gameloft. 
I believe it's Thrustmaster, where they have so the the accessory manufacturer they they have uh, they still control, mm-hmm. and of course Ubisoft. I mean, this is not this is a dynastic family. It is absolutely, and and for those of you who followed along with the Vivendi thing, there is there is deep resentment between I can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head, the person who was at the top of Vivendi or is at the top of Vivendi, and the Guimau family. Yeah. And this was, this was, that was, the hostile that takeover was, hostile. was, it was, it was deeply hostile. It was as much personal as it was professional. Absolutely. Because they didn't just go after Ubisoft, they went and successfully went after Gameloft. Yeah. And Gameloft did. was taken over by Vivendi. And then Gameloft made Disney Dreamlight Valley. Which is both of us are excellent. Are engaged it's with. It's just excellent. But I think, anyway. I think that that's an important, I think that's an important distinction though. And it's not something that came to mind until I had you know, I had lunch with a friend today. I, I genuinely believe that as a CEO, your responsibility is to steward the company, the direction, the strategy, and you have to be aware of what's going on. Maybe not on a day-to-day basis, but you have to be fully aware of not just what products you're putting out there, not just what your corporate strategy is, not your steering committees, but what the people are, who mm-hmm. the people are, what they're saying, what they're feeling. And it can't just be a, well, my managers are telling me this, you know, that that's such a like, and that's kind of how I feel about a lot of these corporate CEOs is that they're so removed that they're more like monarchs than CEOs. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So of course, um, as, as we alluded to both Axios and I believe Eurogamer. Yes. Uh, so Axios spoke with Ubisoft workers Eurogamer received written responses by way of AC Sisterhood. Uh, Totillo published a follow-up piece mm-hmm. that where he was in when he was in France, he actually met with Ubisoft workers. That's far really away from the Ubisoft offices. That's really um, great. In fact, I think it was at the the offices of Solidaire Informatique, the union. Interesting. Uh, so multiple people that were interviewed and. Uh, by both of these sites, you know, of course, Eurogamer receiving responses from from the AC Sisterhood. A lot of skepticism, outright disbelief that leadership would think the problems are solved, as we expressed. Uh, multiple people focused on the fact that Ubisoft defenders weren't fired, but allowed to resign without facing repercussions. And we've talked about that as well, where people are like, oh, I'm leaving. And uh, Michel Ancel was one of those people who was named, mm-hmm. uh, which is why Beyond Good and Evil 2 is kind of in the limbo that it is. Um you know, and indicated that they simply hid for a bit and moved on to another job. Of course, Ashraf Ismail, which we talked about on this show, you know, is at Tencent now and Tencent is like, is keeping for him. Yeah, no worries about it. This quote was alarming and this is from the Eurogamer story. Quote, it's true that we have a new, very small, but passionate D&I department who are working on cultural and systemic changes for the future. But that work is incredibly understaffed and underfunded and therefore painfully slow. So evidence of real permanent change on the ground is extremely hard to see. In the meantime, we've seen a clear backlash internally against the DNI work and initiatives with measures and language designed to prevent abusive behavior now being used to silence and shut down all dissent. And whole oh my God, oh, co-opting the language exactly of the is. oppressed to oppress them is so incredibly common and horrifying that it turns my stomach. Oh yeah, and they're and and the people who are the worst offenders are using that language, using the language of inclusion to hi to to cover their their intent. Uh 
And of course, it's not just about language. It's about behavior. It's about internalizing and systematizing practices that value people from a variety of backgrounds and and creating a sense of equity in the workplace. And that's what's interesting to me is they said DNI department and the E is missing from that. Uh, which is which is interesting. I'm wondering if that's how it's positioned internally. I I don't know. I think that you know it's um everything. It feels like everything in corporate culture, pretty much anywhere, everything is baby steps, and that just ends up doing more harm than good. Mm-hmm. Um, in Axios's chats with workers, sentiments were mixed. Uh, some employees understandably feel hopeless. We've seen a number of people leaving Ubisoft. Oh, the churn, the turnover rate, and it's their and brain drain clear, is enormous. To be clear, the turnover rate in Montreal has always been quite high because there is so much going on in Montreal in terms of the game industry. Everybody's poaching everybody. Yeah, apparent like this because I have friends that mm-hmm. I, we have lots of friends up in Montreal that kind of give us insights into how Montreal is very different in that way. So there's always been high turnover at their Montreal offices, but seeing it happen globally is mm-hmm. uncommon. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty wild. Uh, other people are still trying to push through change. There are people who haven't given up yet, and you know, kudos you know to power them. Power to them. But but we know, and we've seen it. I'm with, rooting for them. Me too. But we've seen it at at Raven and other Activision studios where people have just been like, I can't keep doing this to myself because I'm constantly in the line of fire from people who do not want to see change at this company. Yeah, exactly. Uh, additionally, a lawsuit was filed last year by uh, the Solidaire Informatique Union which successfully pursued uh, France Telecom and won a moral harassment suit after multiple employees took their own lives due to labor conditions. So the union has filed suit against Ubisoft. It's not exactly the same situation, but it does mean that the union is not new to taking this kind of action. So it's going to be very interesting to watch what happens. Really, really interesting. It's going to get ugly. Yep. It's going to get really ugly. And you know what? As always, we are worker first and we are rooting in solidarity with all of the workers and I really I was hoping I was hoping against hope that they would but it's been two years yeah Yeah. two years and they've done almost nothing absolutely sigh (sighs) okay well what's our next story here Mikey all right EA has pushed back against calls to fully rein in golden parachutes In the company's most recent SEC Form 8K filing, the publisher says it is capping cash severance at 2.99 times an executive's base pay plus target annual bonus. However, no changes were made to equity payouts as Uh part of severance. The proposal was to cap both cash and stock at just under 3x. Uh, So those changes do not apply to existing agreements. For instance, if Andrew Wilson is terminated without cause... Or leaves for good cause. And we've talked about both of those things in the past with regard to both Wilson and uh-huh. Bobby Kotick. Uh, his payout would be more than the 2.99x limit at $7.8 million in cash, which by itself is less than the 2.99x. However, his equity payout would be a whopping $27 million, Holy which smokes. is more than that. And even with that, that's nothing compared to Bobby Kotick's Golden Parachute. But that's not the point. The point isn't that it's not nearly as much as Bobby Kotick's. The point is is that there is, where, where's where's the money for the workers? Yeah. Where's the money for the workers? Where's their equity severance? Where's, where? how do you take care of them? Yeah. I, and this this does come back, and, and while the union conversation has, has grown and evolved beyond this, 
I don't, I do think this is still part of the conversation is, is looking at CEO pay and how many more times it is than the average worker's pay. Yeah. And when you're talking 20, 30, 40 times, that's horrifying. Average, it's, it's horrifying. It really and is. And this horrifying. is, this goes even back to our GameStop conversation where people are getting 38 cents an hour raise and are being worked to the bone in a retail. Honestly, job. the fact that we haven't had a revolution yet is yeah. kind of miraculous. Yeah. So the really nice thing about this story is that the activist investors behind the proposal, James McRitchie and his wife Myra Young, they want to see executive pay redistributed yes. to workers. So so they're yes. answering your question. Two really lovely quotes in the Axios piece from them again, Axios doing the good work here. Quote, moving pay and stock with votes, not just stock, but stock with votes. From, quote, named executives to workers would grow the economy. I agree. I agree 100%. as well. For those of you who don't understand what they mean by named executives, when you reach a certain tier in a publicly traded company, you become a named executive. Yep. So CEO, CFO, CMO, CTO, C-suite, C-suite, C-suite. You are actually named in those filings and your stock transactions are monitored and, and all that stuff. So that's what we mean by a named executive. Yes. You are someone of high prominence within a company. Um, additionally... From McRitchie and Young. Trickle down hurts the economy. Trickle up builds it. 100%. And there is evidence that the gross domestic product, GDP, increases when wealth is less concentrated in the top 1%. The motivation here is very strong. It's worker first. It is. But it's worker first in the way that should motivate. It's the, And he's screwed up recently, but I'm going I'm to use his name anyway. It's the Warren Buffett approach. To understanding that if you treat people, if you if you build a strong foundation of the economy in a middle and in a middle class and elevate people from you know as much and as possible out of poverty, out of poverty into a stable class, make make sure they're not uh, shelter insecure, make sure they're not food insecure. You have a stronger economy. The reason our our economy is so fragile right now is because so many people are at risk of losing everything. In the United States, I'll use the example. One health emergency. One health emergency can devastate a family for generations. Yeah, because medical debt is something that you have to be really concerned about. That's why this is such a litigious country. Yeah. So thanks so, to McRitchie and, and Young. Yeah, that's that's too. actually really great. There's there's a lot to like about this. There's a lot of really smart um, macroeconomic theory at work here. Macroeconomic mm -hmm. theory in conjunction with a lot of the more modern takes on understanding the perils of Reagan economics. Yep, and Reaganomics trickle, have, have screwed us for 40 years. Yeah, and, and trickle-down economics just don't work. Yep. They, were, they never worked, and it created a lot of greed and corporate corruption where there should have been equal seats at the table mm -hmm. for, for more. There should be more. There's so much wealth in the world, right? There's so much money out there. And there are so many people suffering and there's so many people that just cannot seem to make ends meet. And there's only so much that non-government organizations, uh, non-profits, um, charities and everything like that. There's only so much that even individual people can do without completely upending the system and saying enough is enough. Yeah. And, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but... Well, I think it's an important it's an important no, no, thing no. to talk about. I don't want to spend too much time on the thing I'm about to say, but the evolution my remember my background's in nonprofits. So, the evolution of nonprofits as being service providers in the United States was originally people leveraging their wealth for good. 
Right. Now, granted, there's the whole tax incentive piece that goes along with it. Yeah, I there's could the not whole, care less There's the whole that. nonprofit theory about why people give. And, and it's, again, a much deeper con- conversation. But we have become so overly reliant on nonprofit organizations to provide basic services that we have we have painted ourselves into a really difficult corner in terms of human rights, in terms of economic well-being, in terms of equity in general. Yep. So, I mean, this is this is really scratching the surface here of some some big things that translate down into a single company with oversized CEO pay. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's actually a good way to uh to move on from the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for wrapping it up. No problem. Okay, let's talk about some. We we got to talk about layoffs. Yeah, this we was do. a this was a bad couple of weeks for layoffs. Um, we're gonna start with uh, C, which is the parent company of Garena, which if you're familiar with the show, you'll know we've talked about Garena Free Fire as being one of the top sellers on mobile for a long time, for a good stretch of time, especially throughout 2020 and 2021. C has announced that in addition to shuttering a number of operations in Latin America and Mexico, it will be laying off hundreds of Garena staff in Shanghai. Yikes. After suffering a $1 billion loss in the April-June quarter of this I'm year. I'm sorry, a $1 billion, dollars billion in one dollars. quarter. Um, yeah. C decided to make some big cuts and they've been doing so ever since their, their quarterly, ever since the quarterly report came out. According to Reuters, quote, two of the sources, ah, sorry, I have to like scroll back down because I accidentally scrolled all the way up. Ah, okay, my notes are down here. Okay, cool, we're good. <laughs> um, two of the sources said as many as 15% of employees at the Shanghai office were let go as of last week. Mm-hmm. With the third source confirming that the number was in the low several hundred. I mean, this is not a small layoff. This is an enormous layoff. Anything... Anything over like five people to me is like enormous. Like it's just, it's mass at that point. Apparently gaming revenue has been suffering since Garena Free Fire was banned in India by the government in, uh, in February. And this is a continuation of a sharp overcorrection mm-hmm. in gaming following the pandemic surge, especially as we head into a global recession. Yeah, sadly, those are not the only layoffs that we need to talk about. No. Uh, it was a brutal week in games media last week. It was savage. It was. It was. We haven't seen a bloodbath like this in in a while, and I I think that um, years we're not done. yet. I want to say we're not done yet. No. Uh, it started with layoffs at a number of Future Publishing owned publications. Future posted record profits last year and has had a strong start to the year, and still turned around and laid people off. Yeah, it's almost like corporate media is um, horrible. Yeah. Uh, then a reported 20 to 30 staffers at G4 TV were suddenly let go less than a year after the channel's relaunch. There were some warning signs when former President Russell Aarons shared revenue goals in an all-hands meeting that seemed unattainable. Uh, he since left and was replaced by Joe Marsh, who seems to be on a budget-slashing mission. Um, interestingly, uh, this didn't make it into the show notes, but Frosk, uh, apparently her contract was bought out uh yesterday so she's out that sucks because frost is great yeah now and was one of my favorite hosts like mm-hmm. i didn't watch a lot of g4 since they rebooted i've, wa- because... I've, I've watched some and i've watched clips and i, and I really do appreciate but i really frost. appreciate i really appreciated frost's 
perspective on a lot of different issues and, and, and their person and like the personality. There. Yeah. And you know, speaking out about sexism and a, and a lot of sexism directed at, at, at her. And, uh, there was, there were people who were hoping like you could see that that she she angered the people you you want to have angry at you I guess the the chuds yep and there were people who were hoping that she was going to be in the cuts and she wasn't but they laid off lots of different people yeah. like lots of like production people and it's just and writers and, yeah and so it, it's just it's so what much. happens to G four from now from now forward I. I don't know, but this is, this is tough. This is really tough. And, and I, I don't, this, this stuff is, is always hard for us to talk about. So yeah. forgive me. Yeah. It's, it is really hard to talk about. This is also for me, you know, especially we're going to, we're going to talk about it in a second, you know, like mass layoffs is something that we have not only covered extensively, and has been devastating to cover because you have to be as objective as you can. And it sucks being objective because you just want to be angry. Um, and you want to fight for, you want, you want to fight for people, but you have to do your job. Mm -hmm. We don't have to do that here. We can just be angry. Yeah. Yeah. We're here as analysts. We're not here as journalists. So we can just be mad. And this makes me mad. Yeah. Like very angry. And this next part of it makes me very angry. Uh, the last one for now, Fanbyte has laid off most of its staff. They started at the top and dragged it out person by person through an entire day. Which, by the way, happened to me and my team when I worked at Mike.com, which also went through a massive round of layoffs and might actually be fully shuttering. Yeah. After it was revived. After remember, it was revived, after Bustle bought them. Yeah. It was horrible. Uh, like, but like, by the way, that kind of laying people off person by person by person is one of the most traumatic ways that you can handle layoffs. Mm -hmm. It honestly, it honestly is. You want to talk about, about creating panic and anxiety. Uh, so they started with head of media, John Warren and editor in chief, Danielle uh, Rando. Uh, the cuts hit features, news, social community, graphic designers, yeah, you know, editors. It, it literally hit everybody except what we saw, like a small handful of people. The site's likely pivoting to just doing guides and SEO at this point, which I'll, I'll be honest, no seasoned writer. And they had put together a team of... Well, I mean, the person of, who's of, doing like, who's doing the guides, like is in charge of the guides, mm -hmm. stand up human being, genuinely, really like his work. So I'm glad <clears> to see, like, I really do hope that he stays on and continues to do his work because I really appreciate his guides. But at the same time, <sighs> yeah, uh, probably the worst out of this, uh, Imran Khan, who was the news editor at Fanbyte. He previously was the news editor at Game Informer. He, he succeeded me in that role, uh, actually. Um, and he was overseas at TGS covering the show overnight for him. Overnight. He was asleep after being up late covering the show. They kicked him out of Slack. He wasn't around to field the call or the email or whatever. Woke up to the news. Woke up to that news. And if you are an out, if you are a, a, any manager doing this to an employee who you've effectively stranded overseas without employment, this this happened to Game Informer. I think didn't it happen to JV when he was at Gamescom. Yeah, it happened so this to JV is, while <clears throat> he was at Gamescom. Like I, I'm sorry, but this is this is not okay. This is not an okay to, to, way to treat human beings. You, you call, like, you wait till they're awake, you call them and say, hey, there are some changes, 
Um, we're paying you out. We want to make sure that you that you you know are able to keep doing the work. We're not you know we don't want you to worry about that. We're you know we're, we've got you covered. But unfortunately, we've had to make these changes. That a, that's not a conversation that that should be had anyway. But if you absolutely must have to have that conversation when someone is on a business trip, and let me tell you, we have both covered shows. And covering shows is exhausting. We're covering shows overseas. I can tell you from covering Gamescom, it's extremely difficult. Yeah. And it's exhausting work. Really you are jet lagged like, as hell and you are just working your ass off in an unfamiliar country. And we don't and, have to tell you all this because for the most part, y'all are working in this industry. You know what those shows are like. You know how difficult it is even from just manning a booth. Hmm. or working PR or being in marketing like you know how exhausting dealing with these shows are it is it is even more pressure to be a critic at, like a, a journalist to be a content creator and covering these shows because it's not just one that you have to keep track of it's all so this is not this is one of the most maddening and egregious mm-hmm. violations of what should be a covenant of trust. Absolutely. I think think that's an an excellent way to put it. And, uh, you know, we kind of alluded to this earlier, Fanbyte's owned by Tencent. Yeah. And there is, this was ruthless. It was cruel. There, yeah. There was cruelty in the way this was handled. There, Yeah. And that, I know, because I've been through that measure Mm -hmm. of cruelty, because the way that it was handled with Mike... Not with, me, Mike.com. No, no, with Mike.com and with um, with multiplayer, with our vertical, you know, we were not the only section that was let go that day. Mm-hmm. But we were, we were complete, like almost all of us lost their, lost our jobs that day. Almost all of us lost our jobs. Yeah. And it was so horrible and so cruel and it was intentionally cruel. And I can tell you this based on who was sitting in management at the time. Like not my direct manager who is incredible and went on to do amazing things was at Mel, like just great people that I work directly with. But management. But management, people in the C-suite, people in the executive offices. There were some malicious people that hated our vertical and were delighting in watching us suffer. Yeah. It it just sucks. It's cruel. So screw you, Tencent. I'm so angry. Yeah. This whole thing is just... I'm so angry. It these things these things may be necessary from a business perspective, but the cruelty better, the cruelty is never necessary. Yeah, exactly. And the it's the cruelty for me. Like, okay, fine. Sometimes cuts happen, sometimes layoffs happen, and sometimes they're unavoidable. But just like the big problems that we had back in 2019 when Activision Blizzard was posting record profits and they laid off almost 800 people, and it was another measure of egregious cruelty. Mm-hmm. And that was the thing that you and I had to take a step back from because we had to cover it as objectively as we could yeah. as business journalists. Mm-hmm. We're not business journalists anymore, friends. We're, We're analysts. We're just fucking pissed. Yeah. We're just mad. We are mad analysts. Mad. 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 Yeah. Anal- anal- analyst rage. And this is not normal amounts of rage. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so hopefully... I hope that that's it for now, but I, I am not hopeful given what's going on on the, in the landscape, but, we, but we shall see. Uh, we got one more big story and then we do have a FAFO award this week. Oh man, I'm so excited for the FAFO award. I know award. you are. 
so one more big story here, and perhaps the biggest story of the week, potentially one of the biggest stories of the year. Rockstar Games uh, is the victim of an enormous hack that saw the release of an enormous, I'm using enormous a lot because it's just magnitudes, uh, enormous amount of in-development GTA 6 footage. Additionally, the source code for GTA 5 and GTA 6 has allegedly been auctioned off, or is the, 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 the intruder... Uh, is attempting to auction off. In a statement, Rockstar called the event a, quote, network intrusion that led to, quote, an unauthorized third party illegally accessing and downloading confidential information. What we understand is that this was social engineering. Yeah. Uh, We don't have all the details, obviously, but it's real bad. Um, So why are we covering this? Why is this a business story? Um, because obviously we are, we try to be very careful about how we approach things like this and we don't just just want to cover stories just to cover them. Just to be clear, we are not linking to any of this footage. We are not. No, no, this is stolen. We are discouraging you from going out and watching it. This is what happened here was like, there's no other way to put it. It was theft. Yeah. This was theft. Yes. Uh, the result was a precipitous 6% drop in take two share price, uh, which has largely recovered at this point. But the real story is how this kind of malicious malicious attack impacts developers. And the first one I want to talk about is remote work. We know that companies want people back in the office. Because commercial real estate is a real moneymaker. It is. And we run into a situation where it's about policing people's time and policing people's actions. Butts and and seats. Butts and seats. Uh, It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't... You are narrowing your worker pool. You are... It's the exact opposite of being, you know, of embracing DEI. And while it has been said to me, it's like, oh, like this, this might not impact remote work because it has nothing to do with that. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't they matter. Will, they be- will find a way. Corporations will be like, well, this is a security. This, what if it's a different vector next time? Right, exactly. Well, we need to close as many holes as possible. Which from a security perspective, which in fact we will get to because we, do. we, we, we have a great perspective from a secure, a data security, uh, like cybersecurity expert. Yes. So we're going to, we're going to get there in a second. But the other thing here is not just in the remote work, but is in ro- morale from the workers themselves. This is what makes this a labor story. Mm-hmm. This is what makes this, this hack, this theft, a labor story because I could not care less about the impact on Take Two, I do not care about the impact on Rockstar. That's not the important thing to me. Mm-hmm. To for me, what I care about is how this impacts the workers and the product and the art that they're developing. I have no real love. Anyone that knows me knows I have no real love of any of Rockstar's games except for like Bully, and also Bully Two. Please, I'm waiting. What about table tennis? No, it was okay. What about no. Manhunt? Definitely not Manhunt. <laughs> I was definitely never interested in Manhunt. Um, but my point is, is like, I don't, it's not about that for me personally. I don't care about what, how this impacts take two, even though it had, you know, you know, a precipitous 6% drop in take two share price. Yeah. Like it was, it was a big drop. That's what makes this a business story. But what makes it a people story, because we are about business for people, is that, this affects the workers. And it this been, hurts them. I, I will say that that in the aftermath of this, what's been really heartwarming is seeing the development community rally around this idea because there's been a lot of people, 
the reason why this is a morale issue is because, hey, you don't get to show your game for the first time in the way you want to. But the other piece of it is you have uneducated, uninformed, uh, brain-dead consumers who are like, oh, this looks pretty shit. It's in it's, pre-alpha. It's, it's probably a year and a half to two years away. It's in like, pre-alpha at this point. This is what... I, and, and we look at a lot of games that are very early. Honestly, I, for what it... Because I, I looked at one video. I'm like, okay, this looks great. This for looks where like, they are in the development process, the, the few screenshots that I saw, I'm like, yeah. they're on the right track here. Yeah, and, and what we have... Uh, we have a situation where consumers are simply not interested or equipped to understand the development process. And this was all not for public consumption for that reason... I think that developers will, they do want to be more open with their process and share in progress stuff and show people what they're working on because they're excited. But overall, it isn't something that consumers are equipped to deal with because it's very much so, but I want it now. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've mocked games that, you know, that early enough are, you and I have both mocked games where there's placeholder stuff in it. That's fine. That's like, normal. Yeah, it is normal. It depends on when we're in the process. If it's near final, we still could have overlays in there. Yeah. Like I've mocked entire games where there's been where there's been telemetry overlays, and it's like, okay, that's annoying. I don't like it there, but it's still a there. A lot because, of the time, you can go into the dev console and shut it off. Yeah, if you know, most of the time, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, so it's it's really heartwarming to see the development community rally around this. Like uh, Remedy showed off some early control stuff. Uh, to show about where it was about the amount of time before GTA mm-hmm. 6 is likely to come out. Remember, there's no release date on this. No. Um, the uh, uh, Avalanche? Not Avalanche. Um, sorry. It's not Avalanche. It's uh, Gorilla. Showed mm-hmm. off earlier stuff from Horizon Zero Dawn. And what the Thunderjaw looked like. Or was oh. it the Thunderjaw looked like before yep. uh, when it was still placeholder and white box and all that stuff? Yeah, for sure. And I love that stuff. I mean, so back in the day, I mean, way back in the day, I'm talking like 2010, um, Bioware and EA accidentally pushed a Mass Effect 3 demo that had a bunch of placeholder animatics in it. And it was the coolest thing. Like, I downloaded it and played it. It was the coolest goddamn thing because at that point, I had not seen a whole lot of stuff that early and it was the opening of the game and very very cool um so yeah rockstar also said like they put out a statement to kind of staunch the bleeding because they were the stock price was dropping they're like it's not gonna delay anything you know we're still on track um but we wanted to get a security perspective a security the fact that it spooked investors though speaks to how little investors actually understand what they're investing in right Honestly, that was that was the big business takeaway for me mm-hmm. is that they still don't get it. They still don't understand the complexities. Yeah. And, and the truth of the matter is like Grand Theft Auto 6 is going to sell like fire. Grand Theft Auto 5 has sold over 150 million copies at this point. Like there's, I'm there's not worried no about way. GTA 6. Well, I'm not. No one should be worried about Take-Two or Rockstar's no, bottom no, line. No, 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 no. The is only the thing people. that matters is the people. Absolutely. So we did so like Mike said, we ended up tapping um a cybersecurity expert, Ryan Seguin, for his perspective. Ryan's a friend of ours. Yep. So if you've been in either of our streams, you probably know who Ryan is. Uh, you might not have known that he is an IT expert. This is his field of expertise. Cybersecurity is his thing. Yep. And he was kind enough to uh, give his thoughts on what probably happened inside Rockstar once this stuff started to flood onto the internet. 
Absolutely. So immediately after Rockstar's security team detected the intrusion, either Rockstar or Take-Two would have hired a third-party incident response contractor to perform a thorough investigation. Rockstar's security team, meanwhile, will have shut down and isolated whatever they thought was affected. Usually it's because someone in the company clicked on a phishing link, which does happen. There are a lot of security penetration testing. There's a lot of security and penetration testing that is done. Um regularly with with a lot of these larger companies so they probably went through phishing training Mm -hmm. but it it still happens yeah um if the breadth of the intrusion was sophisticated enough to involve a lot of lateral movement a lot of core business functions would have needed to have been halted until a safe alternative could have been set up At this point, not only is Rockstar paying their IT and security teams overtime to keep the business running, but they're also shelling out an arm and a leg to a third-party contractor to assess the damage. One potentially bad thing, though, was the Confluence access. A lot of companies store security and login information in Confluence because it's a documentation platform that integrates with IT and development tickets. Um, I've worked with Confluence before. Mm -hmm. It is a beast. It's an absolute beast. But if the security team at Rockstar is good at their jobs, and one would imagine that they are, a game dev would not have been able to see those pages. Yeah, it's it's strange to understand. Like I, I don't know that we'll ever understand the path because apparently the person who did, the FBI is looking into this. Apparently, the person who did this is allegedly the same person who used social engineering to hack Uber, as well. And within like this happened within a week. Yeah. Uh, so the only way I think we're likely to hear a ton more about this is. Law enforcement. Law enforcement, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, right. So... Uh, source code. Source code. That This is kind of the thing where Dan Ahmad from Nico Partners tweeted this out, where one of the concerns might be if the source code is in the wild, that could actually create vulnerabilities for the game, people creating hacks and... Uh, so that that's a worry there, but... Um, but honestly... But, no. Yeah. So what Ryan said was, uh, as for the source code for an unannounced game, it's like stealing your eggs for a cake you're about to bake. The game is so early on, I doubt it would amount to much. Uh, but they're definitely going to have a code review for security issues. But that's likely it. Hopefully it's not any more than that. I can understand why there is some worry about source code potentially leading to some issues with the final product. But that's what a review is going to expose. Absolutely. And they will do everything they can to close it as many loopholes as they can. Rockstar games very rarely ship buggy. Yep. And they are usually exceptionally polished, even if there is some aberrant AI behavior. Yeah, like NPCs and stuff. But yeah, but yeah I mean, those games usually land pretty stable. Yep, it's true. So, so, so thank you, Ryan, for... Huge thanks to Ryan uh, for that. For your perspective on that, because I think it, it clears up a lot about what happens in a situation like this. And this is why we, we do expect. penetration tests. Oh yeah, pen tests, man. Very, pen very tests important. are super important, especially for social engineering. But and wait. if they haven't done social engineering pen tests, mm-hmm. they're going to have to start doing them now. Absolutely. Uh, we have so one more we thing have one left. More, but wait, there's more. Amanda, what's left? All right, it's this week's Fuck Around and Find Out Award. Each week, or rather each time that we have cause to, we'll pick the person or company in the game industry that has tended their garden from small seeds of fucking around to a sequoia-sized tree of finding out. Are you excited? I am excited. So uh, we actually had a nominee for FAFO, and we this sure edged it out. Did. Yeah, this this definitely edged it out. So what All do we right. got? So we have Dan Allen Gaming, 
or why NDAs are serious shit and you shouldn't fuck around with them. This guy's an idiot. But when you do fuck around with them, boy, are you gonna find out? Now, to be clear, I will admit that perhaps this is a slightly premature... I, 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 think, he's, I think he's got a sapling. I yeah. think I think he's got a sapling at this point, but it's it is not a sequoia yeah. size tree of finding out yet. But it there it's gonna be. be. This might be the biggest find out that we're gonna see. Yeah. So let's dig in. Right. Remember how we were talking about Ubisoft? Yeah, and their their Ubisoft Ford event. That's right. Talk. They announced a whole bunch of Assassin's Creed games yep. and all that stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. So prior to the um, Ford event, a Twitter account by the name of quote the Real Insider. Yeah began to leak details about various Assassin's Creed titles before the official announcement. Turns out that the person behind this account was a person named Dan Allen Gaming. That's a weird name that your parents, like, is that is that your given surname, Gaming? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, oddly well positioned for this field, but at the same time, it's very strange. It's very strange. So it goes by Dan Allen Gaming on YouTube. I see what you did there. You're, you're a jerk. <laughs> just to be clear. I like, know. just so we're both aware of that. Um, so this person had been uh, pre-briefed and had signed an NDA. Yeah. Prior to the event. So, so just to be clear, depending on the, on the publisher, you are, uh, some publishers, Nintendo is extremely aggressive with the NDAs. Some companies are, we just need you to sign this, but I have not been to a pre-brief press event or a junket of any sort. Um, for a major publisher uh, that has a significant embargo like this. Now, again, when you're dealing with something timed against an event uh, or times against... They timed will against make a, you sign paperwork. You sign an NDA. And, and here's the thing. I always recommend that you read these things. It's really important that you read these things. So yep. if you are going to an event and you are being pre-briefed on something or even if you are signing an NDA for whatever reason, especially if it's around any legal action at your company, at yeah. your former company, always read the legalese and yeah. get yourself a lawyer if yeah. it's a significant enough NDA. Right. But for something like this, if you're attending a press event and you sign an NDA, chances are you have nothing to worry about. No, and no. I mean, very you, could, you could accidentally publish a story early, publish a preview early, and still they're not going to come after you. Honestly, it has happened to almost every one of us yeah. that came out of the media is we've all done it at least once. It'll where, get you. If it hasn't happened to you, your time is coming. It happens, it happens to, everybody. to everybody. And it's like, it sucks when it does happen because you have to be so careful. But at the same time, they're just going to be like, dude, dude, you have to be careful about this kind of and, thing. And you take it down and you make your apologies and and it sucks. And it sucks when it happens because usually it's an honest mistake. Oh, it's all, it's a hundred percent of the time an honest mistake. Either you did not read the embargo properly or you misinterpreted the time the zone. The one that happened, happened to me was a time zone issue. I was a on the web. So it was a Bethesda, it was a, a relatively minor Bethesda story. It was, they Bethesda usually releases their, their embargoes are usually at 10 a.m. Eastern because they're mm -hmm. on the East Coast. I was on the West Coast for E3 and it was a 10 a.m. Pacific <gasps> embargo. So that was me kind of being exhausted, moving on autopilot. The worst part was Bethesda was having their E3 party that night. And I went in and I'm, and I saw Pete. I'm like, I am so sorry. He's like, would you just sit down and have a taco? Like chill the fuck out. It happens. It, it really happens. My point is, yeah, it happens. But when but you this do, is malicious. but this was malicious. And this is when you set out to purposely and flagrantly disobey an NDA that you signed for internet points for internet points 
Which also is stupid. It is so stupid. So this dude, first of all, he also bullshitted. He made stuff up at the same time. Oh yeah, absolutely. So he, so, and we see this often with insiders and honestly, most of, I, I don't, he's not the only one. I'm going to be honest with you. This guy got caught, but, but when you have, there are other people who do this Yeah, and it's the rise of the content creator because they only have themselves. They've got nobody holding them accountable most of the time. So how did this happen, Manda? Uh, turns out that Brohim replied from his YouTube Twitter account instead of the real insider (gasps) account. Oh shit. As someone who has done that from the virtual economy account on more than one occasion, I know how easy that is to do. Yeah. But dude, if you are trying to bullshit your way into internet infamy, you cannot fuck it up. But he fucked it up and people noticed. Yeah. Well, the tweet was there and gone. Yeah. But the funny thing was, I think it was Jason Schreier who dug into it because I'm sure he scooped, like, I'm putting this in air quotes, may have scooped Schreier on some upcoming announcements. Uh, and Schreier's like, huh, it's interesting after this that you look at when the real insider account and when the Dan Allen gaming account are tweeting about the same games. It's very clear that oh, it's yeah. like, this is a little bit too coincidental. Yeah, people noticed. And so dude did the classic, sorry, I got caught apology like yeah. yesterday. And then he deleted it. And then he deleted, and then he deleted his account. Yeah. So when people put the not so difficult pieces together, um, I'd imagine that Ubisoft isn't going to let Dan Allen gaming go quietly into that dark night. You, you don't mess around with NDAs folks. There is a very large yeah. potential in this case that there will be legal action. Oh yeah. Taken. They can sue him. And that's the thing. When you sign an NDA, they're very clear about what the penalties are. They are. And they they were like, we will sue the shit out of you if you if you fuck us. It's one it's one thing to mess up an embargo. Yep. It is something completely different to go out of your way and leak information way prior. Yeah, you are intentionally doing harm and and causing causing monetary damage. And at the same time, we still don't stand corporations in this house no. and any damage done to Ubisoft is minimal and like who cares? But that's not the point. The reason why we're talking about this is because it is a business story. It is a legal story to better understand, mm-hmm. you know, these NDAs are not, they're not, ju- they're not they're just not pieces of kids, paper. They're not kid stuff. They're not playing with kid gloves here. No. They are real pieces of legal documentation that you have to take seriously. And you do that's not it. want to deal with any of these companies, legal departments. What? No. Oh my in this God. way anyway. No. Um, not in also, any way, also he posted a video. He posted a freaking video today. The dude should have gotten a lawyer immediately, posted the acknowledgement, and then posted a video. He's just making the lawyer's jobs easy. Because he admitted exactly what he did in the video. And now it depends whether or not Ubisoft wants to make an example of I mean, he will be blacklisted by literally everyone. He's done. Yeah. Oh, boy. And I mean, this could have... What a moron. in, In theory, this could have an impact on other content creators as well. Um, In that, you know, what if Ubisoft really like doesn't want to work with, with YouTubers? Like it's not going to happen. No, but I think that, that but the fear is going to be there for, you know, like when we were talking about today, I don't think this is going to have any measurable impact, but there's always that fear that it might. Yeah. You're always going to have that voice inside a company. That's like, you know, maybe we should actually make this a little bit more exclusive. Maybe we shouldn't cast as wide a net yeah. with a bunch of with a bunch of content creators who we can't trust. Right. And then that ends up locking out the people. So, you know, whoever they are from like, especially from marginalized communities, because they're the mm-hmm. ones that end up getting shut out first. 
So that's how, that's how, that's what makes this into a story that is necessary to talk about. Absolutely. But with that, that's it. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Virtual Economy Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Virtual Econcast. I am at Futterish, F-U-T-T-E-R-I-S-H. You're so intense. At Amanda Farrow. (laughs) Or if you're an Imperial, at, at. There you go. Nailed it. You can subscribe to our RSS feed at virtualeconcast.com. You will notice that virtualeconcast.com is not working properly right now. I don't know what happened. What? Yep, the front page isn't loading properly. You can still get to all the podcasts. You just have to like go to the click the podcast button. Oh, good. Um, but alternatively, you can also listen to us on all major podcasting platforms, including Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Amazon Stitcher, Pocket Cast, and I. Pocketson! Oh my god, the Pocketson! If you enjoyed our analysis, our show, our weird humor, <laughs> we'd love it if you would subscribe and, if possible, on your platform of choice, review the show. We'd love to know what you think. Uh, you can also DM us with questions or comments. You can send them to podcast at fsquared.biz as well if your email is your jam. Uh, we also have a Discord. I love our Discord community. Uh, it is where we asked one Mr. Ryan Seguin to comment on uh, the Rockstar story, but it's also today where a bunch of us were freaking out about Ted Lasso uh, and AFC Richmond being in FIFA in 23. FIFA. Yeah. So that was look, the thing that happened. I, I was not... Or sharing food pictures. And sharing food pictures. That happens a lot. A lot of tabletop talk. Yep. Yep. I've been sharing pictures of the Warhammers that we've been putting together. Yeah, it's a lot of Warhammer in the house. So right much now. Warhammer. So much Warhammer. But you know what? That's it for us today. So remember to wash your hands, stay hydrated, and be good to one another. We will see you soon.